This is exactly right. I want to be really clear that the answer here is not zero screens. Um, Screens are here to stay. There are so many positive benefits of the internet. You know, our kids are learning. Our kids are connecting with other people. They're uh, exploring niche interests. There's so many interesting things they can do. It's about making informed, intentional decisions about what online activities add to our well-being. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm your host, Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives while striving to be the best versions of ourselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, With increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is Screen Time and Mental Health with my friend and colleague, Debbie Steinberg-Kuntz. Debbie is a licensed marriage and family therapist and founder of Bright and Quirky. She specializes in helping bright kids and families with focus, learning, social, emotional, and behavioral challenges to optimize their lives for thriving all over the world. She earned her bachelor's at Middlebury College and master's in child, couple, and family therapy at Antioch University. Debbie lives near Seattle with her husband and two boys. Debbie, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Dan. I, I love your intro. That's such a wonderful goal. It's like made me all warm and fuzzy. <laughs> oh, and I, I saw you kind of, you were centering yourself there. I saw you going within and then I, I went there with you. I went there with oh, you. Nice. So we'll talk about the summit that is happening at the time that this is out. Um, but let's take a step back. You have spent the last several years impacting the bright and quirky world, literally, uh, virtually, through all of your offerings and consulting and amazing summits. At one point, and I know this from our, our conversations, screens started to become a passion project to, I don't know, maybe even obsessive passive project, like you've been doing a deep dive. So how, what was, what was the, the, the start of that? Well, I have to tell you, I was on a women's business retreat last fall and we were looking out at the ocean. We were going through all these exercises and they asked us to reflect on what's gotten us to this place. And reflecting back on the last five years, it was really about, uh, my work is like, I try to solve a problem in my own life and then I share what I've learned with other people. Mm -hmm. And the five years was about how can bright and quirky kids, kids who are uniquely wired thrive in the world. And I've interviewed over 300 people and, you know, I'm proud of the work that I've done with families, but really the thing I'm probably most proud of is that I figured out how to help my kids. 
And as I'm in this reflective moment in Hawaii, I'm like, but there's one thing left I really haven't untangled yet, which is screen time for my family and all the families I work with and, you know, myself included. And and I left that retreat with sort of on fire about solving this issue and figuring out, you know, what, it, what is all the research? What, what are the experts saying? And how can I put a plan together for my family and, and our community? And what has this process been? Because I know it's been a process. It's been a process. So first, um, in my bright and quirky community, I called for volunteers, kids, teens, and adults. And I did hour-long interviews to sort of look for patterns. And then I did a literature review, what is the research saying? And then I interviewed the experts. So it's been fairly lengthy process. I'm feeling really good about the direction. And, you know, one of the huge things is the pandemic and how people were sort of going along just fine. And this thing happens where we all quarantine, we're working from home, we're schooling from home, we've got this isolation, we've got mental health um, impacting in negative ways. Um, We have this generation of COVID kids and it's like we're still emerging. And now I feel like it's time for a reset. Uh, mm-hmm. We're still a little bit in the pandemic, but coming out of it, and it's like, okay, we're we're mostly on the other side. What do we want to do about it now? What do we have the power to do? What sort of decisions do we want to make about our screen time? Would you say that there was already an issue with screens and mental health, and the pandemic just exacerbated it? Hundred percent. Okay, so it's nothing yeah. new. It's just when you talk about COVID kids and mental health, or excuse me, and screens, which of course r- relate to mental health, what like what is that? What is that COVID kid with screens? Like, how do you how have you learned that it is maybe different or more extreme for many than what we had prior? Yeah, I think you know, looking back, when I look at my own experience as a mom, I didn't really realized to the extent that the internet was coming into my home, changing our relationships, changing the way we orient to each other and to the world. We've got, you know, big tech and tens of thousands of engineers uh, working hard, (laughs) investing billions to capture our attention. And that makes our dopamine spike and that makes us want more. And we think the more we get, we're going to be satiated and say, that's great. But it's like gambling. It, it's exciting. And then we want more and more of it. And um, this is sort of seeped into our lives, not really in our consciousness. So we're all dealing in in the sort of fight <laughs> against what's going to capture our attention. And then what happened with, the, with COVID and quarantine is those protective factors, those positive real life relationships that are so healthy for us died away in a big way, like for years. Mm -hmm. And what we get when we go to school and engaging in learning, most of the people, most of the kids I know um, had a really hard time focusing all day in online learning and, you know, learning suffered. And um, so the things that keep our well-being um, in a good spot 
died away. And then we've got this pull of the internet, uh, which we're even more available to during uh, quarantine. It was just the perfect storm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with your interviews, I imagine there were some things that you expected to hear um, from your own experience and your um, clinical experience. And I'm thinking there are other things that perhaps were you weren't expected to hear or were more severe than you expected to hear? I was shocked that among kids, teens, and parents, like all three groups, getting off screens was the number one issue. I just hmm. didn't expect there be to be such a unanimous uh, agreement about what the main issue is. And then there's other things that flow through from that, which was sort of the number two issue was loss of interest in anything outside of screens. So mm. the more and more things you do on the internet um, and you've got that dopamine spiking, other things just don't seem that interesting, mm-hmm. but it's sort of, an illusion because if you ask somebody who's you know on for five hours, is the fifth hour as fun as the first hour? The answer is probably no. And then I'm talking to a lot of teens, and they're saying you're like, "Oh my gosh, two hours would go by when I'm on these like YouTube rabbit holes, uh, not even realizing what was happening." Then I feel shame that I've wasted all this time. I just feel icky that maybe I've like haven't moved and eaten all this junk food and. Um, mm-hmm. So just just the extent of everyone experiencing things. Agreement. Yeah, agreement. <laughs> yeah, I know so many adults I work with, um, you know, because we're always focused on, <laughs> I'm glad you bring this up, the three groups, because we're always focused on kids and teens. So many adults I work with who say the same thing. It's like, I, I just realize I just scroll and scroll and scroll on social media and it's just two hours go away of just mindless numbing and I'm not even enjoying myself anymore. You know, I start with either a habit or I start with, hey, I'm just going to check in on these people I follow. And then it just goes and goes and goes. Um, I I was thinking um, my version that I can relate to is more in the in the past years with like sports center you know you watch sports center for those sports center fans out there and it's really exciting because you're getting caught up on all the plays and the plays of the week and all the sports and then you don't even realize it that the show is cycling the same show the second time because you never know if it's going to go to a different studio or that studio i'm like oh i think i just saw this play and then oh well that was interesting let's just i'm just chilling out let's just and then all of a sudden the third it comes on again i'm like what am i doing i can't watch this again but it's like you get (laughs) you get captured in this zone of, I don't know if it's comfort or familiar misery over time. You know, like what is that process of just mindlessly doing something that over time we're not tracking time. It's taking us away from other things and we leave it not feeling good. Exactly. And it's brain hacking. Hmm. It's, it's big tech. I mean, I know a lot of people in big tech and they're really great people. And um, they will admit that they are brain hacking. And that is, you know, some people's job in tech is to figure out how to capture more and more of our attention. So 100% totally agree, Dan. And this is was sort of a theme in between the lines of decreasing joy. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, 
you think you think like logically you'd be doing it because it's fun, but it's not after a bit of time. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. a couple people we have in the upcoming summit. Um, Mike Catherine Rucker and Mike Rucker. I saw I, it. Yes, you introduced me to. <clears throat> it's yeah. like we let's explore how to get the fun back. Right. Yeah. So Mike Rucker, everyone, you know him from um, a previous show. Uh, he wrote a book, The Fun Habit. And and to your point, it's like there are other ways to have fun besides screens. And when we get back to some of our to our kids, our adolescents, and a lot, often particularly those bright teens and adolescents who have very active brains, that anything that is not completely stimulating is it can produce a meltdown like literally the we know Debbie from our 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 community these kids describe boredom as as pain like they just can't tolerate it and of course screens are the quickest thing to go to for that instant hit they really are and there are a lot of uh, people out there that think it's really affecting creativity that mm-hmm. maybe there's a purpose for boredom so um i was reading the book, The Good Life, which is one of my favorite books this year. And um, they have this little exercise where you can sort of rate your um, social relationships because positive relationships are uh, so important to well-being. And I thought, you know, I wonder if we could do the same thing for screens. So I was interviewing Mona Delahook and I, I put up a sheet I wonder if I have it close. I don't think I have it close, but um, picture uh, a piece of paper. You put a line down the middle and at the end of each line, I'm, I'm making a little graph here at the top, put online activities that add to your well-being. And then at the bottom of that line, online activities that subtract from your well-being and then put in a, an X axis on either side is things you do frequently and things you do infrequently. Then you can actually plot the things like Sports Center. Would you say that that adds to your well-being or subtracts from your well-being? And how frequently do you use it? Oh, good question. So I don't use it uh, that frequently anymore. And I would say it doesn't add to my well-being. I would say it's, I mean, it's neutral. And occasionally it's fun to watch. But in terms of the big picture of my life, no, I would not put it as in, in the column of adding. Yeah. So if we do this with ourselves and our kids and like anytime I'm scrolling through news, like, I don't know, the CNN news, it just grabs me. Um, but I would really like to do it less frequently. And like you're saying, I don't know that it really adds to my well-being. And then we can look at how we use YouTube, how we use social media, how we use video games, you know, do it around the dinner table. It's, it's a very yeah. Yeah. interesting exercise. And what the research says is that self-awareness is the first step. So when we actually do this exercise and say, oh, now I'm aware of what my online activities are and do they add or subtract from my well-being, then we can make choices about how we interact with it. And I want to be really clear that the answer here is not zero screens. Um, Screens are here to stay. There are so many positive benefits of the internet. You know, our kids are learning. Our kids are connecting with other people. They're uh, exploring niche interests. There's so many interesting things they can do. It's about making informed, intentional decisions about what online activities add to our well-being. Mm-hmm. I really like that. 
and you know we are completely aligned with self awareness, increased awareness, um, and <laughs> and those of us who have sent kids off into the real world or a world other than our homes when they move out, we know that they have to manage themselves in every aspect of life, including screens and. As parents, we're always in this dilemma of how much screen time, which we're going to talk about in a moment, and okay. how do we manage screen time? And you know, people, you know, every family's different, different family values and different family rules. And people go from complete sort of um, lots of openness, res um, responsibility, giving to the child or teen, and others are on more of the extreme end of managing, limiting um, more rules. And regardless of which way you go, our kids are going to go out there and be on their own. So it's like we have to look at this runway. And hopefully we, we have a very long runway because we're thinking about these things early. And knowing that we're going to have liftoff and we're going to take off or we're going to bounce or we're going to have a little crash and like life's going to happen. So, so to I've heard you talk about, you know, everyone asked the question, how much, how much should my five-year-old, how much should, how long should my 13-year-old, my 15-year-old, and APA, AMA, everyone comes out with these numbers and these hours, and we're always left scratching our head, like, how did, where does this come from? And is this, like, is this universal for everyone? And so what is, what is your, now, with all your research, what is your take on the amount of time a child or teen should spend on screens? You know, that's such a good question. I don't know that I have specific uh, numbers in mind. I was interviewing uh, Dr. Michael Rich of Boston Children's Hospital. He's director of the Digital Wellness Lab. Um, his feeling was that the APA is, or the uh, American um, Pediatric Association yeah. is um, a little anti-media, maybe. <laughs> Not really syncing with um, how real life is. I think the way I think about it, starting with really little kids is what do you want their reality to be? Mm -hmm. And I was walking in the grocery store last night and there was a woman who had a, let's say five-year-old in a, maybe a four-year-old in a very large stroller in the aisles on the phone and, and mom's going through the aisles. I totally get being an exhausted mom. Um, no judgment because we've all been there where we do things that, you know, we're just trying to survive day to day, but making a choice about, okay, is this a learning opportunity where, you know, child can be in the grocery store, helping mom, reading labels. We're learning about, um, healthy food. We're interacting with the cashier. We're making choices. I think that, um, choice about using screens to make life easier for the parent. And let me just say, I'll be the first to raise my hands. I have a little mommy guilt about this. Um, mm -hmm. Just to become aware of when we make this choice. And then with kids, um, think this is sort of a new idea I'm chewing on. What if we thought about our neurochemicals as sort of like a cocktail we want to mix? If we're mixing a bunch of dopamine with um, all these online activities. And we know it's just triggering more and more dopamine and it's keeping us in this sort of strung out state that's not enjoyable. And you know it when you see sort of like kids or ourselves online for a long time and that like saturated feeling, ask if that's the way we want to live versus 
<clears throat> oxytocin, which is another neurochemical that we get. It's, you know, the love drug. It's what we get when we have positive relationships, endorphins that we get from exercise. I think in my mind, I'm thinking like um, mm. a lot of analogies to food that if I'm, you know, I strive to eat three meals a day, a couple snacks, some treats, glass of wine a couple nights a week. It's like we don't have to eliminate the treats. Um, but we want to model for our kids healthy eating, I think is very similar with screens. Mm -hmm. I like this idea of the neurochemical explanation. And I, I was imagining a magic school bus uh, episode with Miss Frizzle, like talking about the brain and the different neurotransmitters and how the different things that we do and ingest and expose ourselves to create different cocktail, brain cocktails with our neurotransmitters, which make us feel differently and that we actually have some control over how we feel. I like yeah. that. I like yeah. that. I think that was one of the biggest ahas interviewing a bunch of neuroscientists in the summit that, wow, the things that we do uh, trigger certain neurochemicals in the brain. And we have this whole industry um, just like we have a junk food industry and Hey, I love my potato chips. I love my peanut butter cups. <laughs> There's a I whole industry too. dedicated yeah. to, um, supplying us with treats and, and that's okay, but it's up to us to moderate. Uh, the same thing is going on with those trying to capture our attention online. And it's up to us mm -hmm. to moderate and choose which activities are going to trigger which neurochemicals, which will then have the ripple effect to our well-being or our not feeling much well-being. Which is our transition to mental health, screens and mental health. So we know from past research, uh, particularly with social media for uh, teens, the teen population, there's a lot of time um, and energy spent on that for good reason, that social media cause increased um, body image issues. Uh, it causes increased depression. It causes increased anxiety. It causes increased bullying, increased isolation. Um, we know from uh, social media research on adults, the difference between people who are what we call lurking and just scrolling passively tend to have higher incidences of uh, the depression, the anxiety, the isolation, why people who use it to be active and connect don't have the same amount. So this is powerful stuff. What in your community, what have you been seeing and what have the parents been telling you about the impact of screens on their kids' mental health? Well, especially in the pandemic, it, it was major. I mean, we're seeing uh, rising rates of anxiety, depression, uh, suicidal ideation, this uh, being in this state of craving where you're thinking about um, screens when you're not on them. When you're on them, it's hard to stop. There's family conflict because of this issue of getting off screens. Um and in my own community, Seattle School District is in the process of suing big tech, which I think is fascinating. Hmm. It's absolutely fascinating because they are seeing this, you know, record rates of mental health issues. It's, it, it's like the thorny issue of our time. And then there is this idea of, well, it's more than an idea, the concept of addiction. 
and uh, gaming addiction, internet addiction. Um, it's in the ICD now. It's not yet in the DSM, but these are diagnoses that have come out. There's treatment programs uh, that exist for kids that have these sort of screen addictions with big A. And I think this is I want us to talk a little bit here what you think about this because we use addiction as a very, um, that word is used a lot. Oh, they're addicted. And in my experience, there are, it's a continuum. And sometimes it's a small A and sometimes it's a big A. And we don't want to under, uh, you know, under, we don't want to miss something. And at the same time, we don't want to make too much out of something which needs some smaller adjustments. You know, so what is what is your take on screen addiction, gaming addiction, internet addiction, and where a lot of our kids you think are falling? Yeah, I'm going to go back to the interview I did for the summit with Michael Rich at Boston Children's. Um, he, you know, I think craving the internet exists in all of us because of those dopamine spikes. I mean, I, th mm -hmm. I think I don't really know anybody who is not finding something interesting on the internet, but he said the population that comes in for problematic internet use a hundred percent of the time has a co-occurring uh, condition mm. like the kids that we work with who may have ADHD, anxiety, learning differences, or on the autistic spectrum. So usually when it gets into the problematic zone, there's something co-occurring um, in the wiring of the child or the mental health. Mm. And then he also said that, you know, with a lot of addiction, like gambling, alcohol, drugs, the solution is to eliminate those things in your life. This is more like binge eating. We need to keep eating. The mm -hmm. world we live in means we need to keep doing technology. So it's going to look more like moderating and using with intention um, rather than totally abstaining. And um, I interview also interviewed um, Dr. K, Alok Kanojia. He's the healthy gamer psychiatrist. And he himself was addicted to video games. And uh, when he was a teenager, his parents just didn't know what to do about it. They tried everything. Great parents. And finally, they're like, you're going to a monastery in India. You're going to an ashram. We don't know what else to do. Wow. Um, yeah. So he learns how to meditate. He ends up going to Harvard to become a psychiatrist. And now he dedicates his life to healthy gaming and, and healthy mental health and, and the internet, super fascinating guy. And, um, same thing. He's saying it's all about self-awareness and intentional use. And in certain cases where it's, where it feels like the big A, the big addiction that a detox is probably necessary, but that's really in a very small number of cases. Mm. Yeah, or a uh, monastery, it sounds like. What a great intervention. <laughs> that's pretty, that's amazing, right? Instead of the wilderness program or the treatment center, this was another approach. And back then, there were probably less of these other programs that were out there. So, um, right. wow, that talk about creative uh, parenting. Yeah, uh, when you don't know what to do, get yeah. creative. So we talk about on this show quite a bit of um, who we are matters, not only for ourselves, for our kids, and that our kids are always watching, and they're always listening, and they're comparing. 
And so what's this connection between parent behavior and child behavior? And how much does that come into screens and mental health? Big time, big time. A number of the speakers in the summit talked about parental hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. You know, do as I say, not as I do. And um, we're living in tricky times. So many of us are working remotely. And when you're working remotely, those boundaries around what is work time, what is other time, they're they're oozing all over each other. And, um, you know, do we have set times that... Um, we're not looking at our devices. We're not doing our work. Um, so really, I don't think there's any way around it except modeling what you want your kids to do. Mm-hmm. And let's say you have the last minute late deadline, narrate that for your kids. You know, I've been really trying to manage my screens and shut my my work off at five and close my laptop and, you know, we go to the park then. But this is one of those times where uh, my work really needs this. So I'm going to do this this one time. And, um, you know, let's have some <clears throat> an extra long visit to the park tomorrow. So narrating these little micro decisions we make is so important. But um, and this was probably like the major aha for me. I came in a little bit worried about one of my kids and it's like, um, surprise, your own screen use needs a lot of cleanup, clean up mm-hmm. an aisle floor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and your, um, your, the foundation of your business is on screens, <laughs> right? That's like, that's what you do. Yeah. And, you know, Dan, we live in a culture where productivity is, is so, and achievement and ambition are so rewarded that mm-hmm. overwork is, is, not really judged as a negative, but like we were discussing before, it crowds out the fun. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I asked parents, when is the last time you and your kids had true fun? Mm. When is the last time you had true fun? And, and uh, this is coming back to Catherine Price and Mike Rucker. It's, I think it's such an important question of our time because our culture values productivity and our culture values um, learning online, it's like, what does the balance look like where there is fun? And, you know, fun sounds like a frivolous word. And, you know, we all kind of put it at the bottom of the list. But talking about those neurochemicals, when you're with other people and you're in nature and you're exercising, you're firing mm-hmm. the neurochemicals of well-being. Right. So fun is really important. I had someone had sent me a meme a while back and it was showing the before and after of technology family gathering. So they, it was, it was, you know, seventies, eighties, early nineties, um, of family, uh, TV night and movie night. So everyone on the couch watching a show and then also uh, family dinner where everyone's sitting around the dinner table and then superimposed with now where everyone's on the couch looking at their phones and everyone's at the dinner table, half the people looking at their phones. And it was just such a powerful visual of how much this technology, world of technology that we are living in, and particularly what the smartphone and the tablet has done insidiously over time, it has changed everything about 
the way we live. And it's all incremental until you like look back and see what it was like before we had this option. It's so true. And I love the word insidious because that's exactly how it's happened. And on the one hand, how great that all this entertainment and learning is on demand. I mean, in our in our world, you had to wait, you know, for Thursday night at nine to watch Seinfeld. You know, you just have yes. to wait for the cool right. things, right? right? And now it's all on demand, which is so cool. But if it is insidious and you're not making conscious choices that, hey, the Seahawks are on, let's all gather around and let's make our fun nachos and do our little family rituals. And um, those things drop off and we don't even realize. So right. I think we've had like this generation of guinea pigs where we've all been guinea pigs of this technology. And now it's time to say, all right, okay. It, it's time to make some conscious choices. Yes. And I was listening to one of the big tech engineers who was saying it was in the movie, the social dilemma. And he was actually the guy who invented the Facebook thumbs up, like, and he mm. said, I thought, I thought it was going to be a really good thing, like spreading positive energy, like let's all like each other's stuff. But, you know, I was talking to Officer Gomez in the summit. Mm -hmm. He's a SRO um, officer in a high school in Idaho. And he said, what do you think happens for a girl on social media who posts a picture in a bikini? She gets a lot, a lot of likes. And then if she shows even more skin, she gets even more likes. So here we've got the internet, a guy who had the best of intentions, but these likes are sexualizing our mm -hmm. kids online. It's like, we just don't know how these things are going to play out once they're mm -hmm. in use. So that makes me think of parental monitoring. I mean, particularly, you know, just without, without, thinking of internet, we know that our kids go to elementary school. And if it is a more traditional neighborhood community based school, you know, the teachers, you know, the families, you're involved in all the play dates and everything, you get start going to middle school. And it start it changes, you don't know as many of the kids, you don't know as many of the parents, you don't really know, you know, kids have more autonomy. And then in high school, it just keeps going. How much should parents? What do the experts say? about monitoring social media, monitoring the use, you know, and I, to me, it's always the dilemma in the work that I do with families is this, um, you know, could we imagine when we were on the phone, um, when it was so exciting to have a phone call in middle school with your friend, can you imagine if your parents were listening to that call or when your diary and journal or the notes you passed, if your parents were reading them? And so, when we talk about monitoring texts and DMs and social media, I think I understand the need. And I don't know that parents of this generation are seeing it as the same of what it would have been like for their parents to monitor all of their communication. Yeah, boy, this is tricky. This is tricky because we have the safety issue. Mm -hmm. It is a reality that we have people lurking in video games and social media who are predators, who are showing themselves online as 15-year-old girls who are very much not 15-year-old girls. They're, you know, 35-year-old men. I know I'm generalizing, but mm -hmm. <laughs> that's what I'm told by the police. Mm -hmm. um, we've got, there's some crazy statistic, like 
I can't remember exactly what it was, but like 70 to 90% of kids seeing porn by the time they're 10 or 11. Wow. I mean, and one of the speakers made the point that you need a driver's license to drive a car. The internet is as potentially dangerous as driving a car. We really need an internet navigation license. So, you know, if your child was at the park and there was a bunch of creepy people, think about what would you do? And what would you do in the same scenario online if you don't even know what they're doing online? So I remember a long time ago when I was doing parenting, I'd I'd talk to parents about love and the V in love that, you know, when kids are young, we start at the bottom of the V, we're really close to them, we're really monitoring, uh, we're co-watching, we're talking about what we're seeing online, then the V opens up. And once we give them the skills, the decision making skills, they can get more autonomy, because we have had those conversations about safety. You know, if if we take all of this, and I'm going to create a digital course out of all that I've learned interviewing all these people and um, really dialing those conversations that we need to have as a family about time that we spend and neurochemicals and safety issues online and amount of content. If you think about how much you have to learn to drive a car, right. um, it's no, it's, there's probably even more to learn about this. Yes. Well, this is, I think this is foundational what you're talking about, right? It's, um, it's, it's screen technology education. You know, it's like, it is, it's, we have driver's ed, we have sex ed. And as you're pointing out, like, this is really important to have education. And we're at a time now that technology has been with us for what I think the internet started in the early nineties and maybe the smartphone in the early two thousands. So, Something like that, right? So we are about 30-ish plus years of rapid development. So it's, it hasn't been that long that is, is completely a part of everyone's lives. And so I think we're finally at a time where we have enough experience, research, and information to start thinking about this stuff that we just all dove into the deep end without even knowing we were diving in. Exactly, exactly. I, I would fully hope and expect that within the next five years that school health education will include screen education. Mm -hmm. And let me just say as an aside, um, schools are learning how to use technology. In Mm -hmm. my interviews with kids, I had one kid who said, all of my friends at lunch are on their laptops and I want to play Foursquare. Nobody's getting off their screen at lunch at school. That tells me there's a there's a big need for educating schools on how to use edu- uh, technology also. Mm-hmm. I know when we were running our summer camp prior to COVID, once we got to a complete no screen use week, it was magical. Uh, the kids liked it. The parents liked it. I know when our kids went away to camp and there was a no screen policy, it was such a breath of fresh air. And our kids would come back and like, that was really nice. You know, and I know there are some um, some people who espouse the technology Sabbath on Sundays or the weekends that the whole family doesn't. And so these are all micro strategies to help us become more aware and have different experiences. Yeah, I love the tech Sabbath. I- I'm going to try that. 
I like that a lot. Okay, so for parents out there who are concerned and parents who are listening, you are among many. (laughs) Um, I don't know any parents who I've worked with in practice or just in my personal life who have not been concerned about their kids' screen use at one time or another. What, What should these parents be thinking about? First and foremost, have conversations with your kids about this. You know, what we've been talking about today, it is all so important to explicitly explain what's going on with what you do on the internet, how much time you spend, what's happening in the brain. Um, Get a piece of paper out and rate your online activities. I I think raising that self-awareness about what adds to your well-being and what subtracts from it is really important. Um, create a tech agreement as a family say, you know, let's really think about this. How much time uh, do we think is reasonable to be online locations in the home? Let's try and get those devices out of the bedrooms. We were so good about that before uh, in my family before COVID. And then, you know, we're coexisting for two years all under the same roof. It's, you know, so we made choices that maybe we wouldn't make in other times. Think about a reset. What would be ideal if we could wave the magic wand? We take those devices out of bedrooms. We'd uh, maybe it could be as simple as have a basket at the table, and everybody's phone goes in the basket, which goes away in a cabinet while you're eating dinner. Uh, make device-free meals. Uh, make curfew times for devices. Turn off notifications on the phone. Pare down apps. Um, and really think about those habits. You know, Dan, I loved how you talked about that our home is the runway and then kids, they go out into the world, they go to college. And I'll just never forget that scene in the movie Screenagers years ago where the kid gets, I think he got like a full ride scholarship to Gonzaga and he ended up in his dorm room playing more and more games. He ended up failing out. And he said at home, his parents were creating all these controls to that, you know, he would then hack and he felt that they were controlling his tech, not in collaboration with him. So I think this idea that we are modeling and teaching our kids habits, just as we would do with eating or exercise, this is no different. We want them to launch from home Mm -hmm. with habits, with, concepts of um, what adds to a subtracts from life that they can then make those independent decisions and try to team up and collaborate so that it is parents and kids against these technologies, not parents and kids against each other mm-hmm. in yeah. trying to figure out technology. Mm-hmm. So I often get asked um, about various things like, is this a problem? And like whether it's an obsessive and a compulsion or if it's worry or anxiety, you know, is this a problem? And I always respond, well, a problem's not a problem unless it's a problem, right? Okay. And, then, and then we uh, unpack that. So asking you this question when it comes to screens, how do we know if it is a problem? Yeah. What was so interesting to me when I did the literature review is that most of the research that has been done is about internet addiction and problematic internet use. 
I think the problem with center with asking that question of let's only help the kids who are addicted or have problematic use sort of ignores the fact that our very social fabric is changing. Like you said about, you know, watching the family movie versus we're all on our own devices. Our culture is changing. And it's up to us to ask, I think, is this a problem? We know from that book, The Good Life, that looks at the 85-year-long Harvard longitudinal study that studies what factors lead to well-being. It's really shocking when you they took so much data, blood samples, um, interviews, so much information from these people over 85 years, thousands of people. And it all comes down to positive relationships and how we choose to use our time. So I might ask a different question than, is it a problem? I might ask, is it leading to your well-being? Mm. So both questions are very important. Yes. And I would say, you know, if it's a problem, if it's a little A or big e, A, absolutely, let's tackle it. But also if it's not leading to your well-being, it's just as important to tackle it. Yes, I really like that because it, it brings me back to your piece of paper exercise, which is, is this increasing your well-being or taking away from your well-being? It is a very simple question. And I think most people, if being honest, if have the space to be honest, can answer the question. And even if it lands on the middle line, as my sports center did for a few of those, it's like, that's no, that's, that's information too. Like something that's like, eh, I don't know. Like I have free time. Do I want to spend it doing something that takes away from my well-being is neutral or something that, oh, you know what? Going for a hike would really increase my joy right now. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. And maybe even saying, you know what, I'm going to spend, I'm going to set a timer and spend 15 minutes on sports center. Cause I am interested in seeing the big plays and then I'm going to go hike. Yes. That's yeah. okay too. Yeah. But they always save the top 10 for the very end. See, they know what they're doing too. They, <laughs> they're just like everyone oh else. It's all about strategy. But to your point, it's being aware of how all of this works, right? Part of the education is helping kids be aware when it comes to advertisements. Like we teach them to be hopefully advertisement savvy, that we tell them that the whole goal of everyone who makes these commercials, these ads, these shows, these games, is to suck you in and make you think you need it. And just yes. giving kids, even in elementary school, that information, we used to do that with our kids, is who? what do you think those kids, those people are trying to tell you? Whose side do you think they're on? And they all they would start dissecting the commercial and taking it apart. And that was beautiful. I think how do we do this with technology and as you said, like this, this, this playbook that you are creating um, and that your summit is laying out with all of these experts are all the things that we can distill into hopefully bite-sized pieces of information that we can incorporate in our own lives without being completely overwhelmed. Exactly. And to your point, I remember reading, I think it was Michael Paul, and he said, you never see commercials on TV for, on TV for apples or bananas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's for people trying to sell you stuff. And it's similar. You're not going to see commercials on the internet for go hang out with a friend at the park, go right. for a walk, right. <laughs> you know? right. go um, practice your hobby. It's yes. like those healthy things. No, no one's pushing that advertising agenda. 
No, and when we do see them, they're very kind commercials by wonderful nonprofits without bells and whistles, right? They're kind of the, like people like are watching the commercials and then those come on and the kids turn away and don't pay attention to them because they don't have all the ingredients to suck them in. That's right. It's, it's like a, it's a paradox. Um, okay, Debbie, it's time for the parent footprint moment question. You, okay. you, you've done this before. Here we go. <laughs> Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual, as a parent, or even an awareness of your own parents. And that new awareness had a positive impact on your life, your kids, and or those you love. You know, I don't have to reach that far back. <laughs> Doing this research all about screens, I had a major aha moment. Uh, this A big existential question of... How do I want to lead my life with screens in my life? How do I want my family to be? And I'm making some big changes about having firmer work boundaries, um, intentionally cultivating more fun in my life. And that has a ripple effect in the family. And uh, we're having really different conversations. I have to tell you, my son, um, you know, kids of therapists, they're always guinea pigs. Um, <clears throat> but I have to say with all the screen stuff, just talking about it at the dinner table has been so helpful. And um, he was getting together with his friends. He's 18. And uh, they made a decision that when they get together, they're not going to have their phones out. And he's like, wow. yeah. And he said, man, it really bugs me when I hang out with people and we're just hanging out and talking and they, they're looking at their phones. And they made a decision as a friend group to do that. So I think it's cool that the conversations we have at home have a ripple effect. Yes. And that gives me hope that the tides are the tides are changing when people that age can make those conscious decisions. When in the past, it was just excitement to get away from your parents so you could be on your device. Right? Yeah. So evolution. Evolution. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this is exciting. And now I have even more um, knowledge and awareness about why you have been so into this topic. It's such an important topic and you've gotten so much important information and your lineup for the summit is, as always, it is a very impressive lineup. So tell everyone about the summit, where they can hook on there, find you with Bright and Quirky. and. Um, We'll go from there. All right. Well, it's called the Screen Time and Mental Health Summit. Uh, it's free to the public. It's five days long. It starts May 15th and goes through the 19th. We've got 21 speakers. Each day is a totally different topic. Um, I have been fascinated by these experts. They're really the best of the best. And um, I think you will come away with a whole new set of insights and tools. And um, the learning is big. For all of us. For all of us. Yeah. Even, yeah. Though, even those that have been in the field. And I know uh, when I was talking to uh, Dr. Kalo Kanogia, he said when he got out of Harvard with the, or was in Harvard do, working on his psychiatry degree, he was looking to all of these psychologists and psychiatrists who've been in the field for, you know, years and years and years. And he had this aha moment that these people had no idea about the internet. 
you know, the people we look to for psychology, um, they just didn't have the experience. So I think Mm -hmm. we're seeing a whole new wave of clinicians that are younger than you and me, Dan, who, you know, grew up with this, that um, very exciting. And it's shifting the field because this is uh, sort of a time bound issue that just started in, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s. So I'm really excited to share this information. And we need all of these young minds, these young minds, these visionaries, these creators, these innovators. We need you. We need you. Yes. Big time, big time. And the link to the summit, is that going to be in the show notes? Uh, Yes, and go for it. Okay. Uh, It's brightandquirky.com slash summit, S-U-M-M-I-T. Brightandquirky.com slash summit. All right, everyone, check it out. The summits are, this is the summit number six, five or six? Number six, crazy, Number six, crazy. And they are all amazing summits with, um, and you can find access to all of those talks on the Bright and Quirky website. And there are different offerings there for you guys all to check out. But I promise you, there is so much, there's such a huge library of information. Thank you, Dan. All right, everyone, that wraps up another show, another very, very relevant and meaningful show for our lives, all of our lives with screens and mental health, and for us to really work to become more aware of our screen use, talk to our kids about their screen use, and of course, focus on mental health, our own, our kids, and as we talked about today, finding joy and increasing well-being. Thank you for listening. Please share this with everyone you know who will benefit. We appreciate your five-star reviews. Do your best to be that person you want your child to become. And ask yourself the guiding question I ask myself each day. What footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.